You're not going to win. 93.3 and AM 560. Far from over. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO. If you weren't with us in the last hour, State Representative Alex Riley gave us a preview on this year's legislative session. Of course, we dove into the big debate over IVF in after what happened with the Alabama Supreme Court, what's going on in Missouri with Adam Schwadron's legislation about who, who, which parent in a divorced parent situation has custody issues over any embryos created through IVF? A lot of interesting stuff. But as we talked about the first hour, there's been a big conversation about what would a second Trump administration look like. Joining us now on the show from the, um, from, from the Standing for Freedom Center, William Wolf, a veteran of the first Trump administration. William, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'm actually, I'm here uh, with the uh, Center for Baptist Leadership. I write for the Freedom Center, but I'm um, not speaking on their behalf in this interview. Got it. You know, I did the, the cursory look at your X profile before, and all I got was an updating dot, dot, dot. And I was like, man, I don't know what kind of background to give William before he joins. Uh, no, yeah, no problem. So I, um, yeah, I worked in the Trump administration 10 years in politics in Washington, D.C., worked for a few different members of Congress, Heritage Action for America. I'm a writer with the Freedom Center out of Liberty University, but I've spent the last uh, four or five months here building an organization, that's why it says updating, that we're going public with here uh, very soon. I guess your listeners get a little preview called the Center for Baptist Leadership, which is uh, intent on helping the Southern Baptist Convention not go woke, which is a big issue right now. It is a big issue. Now, it's interesting because I, you know, I followed you on X for a little while. I, you know, we've, we've discussed some, some of the, the philosophical underpinnings of, of what the new right looks like. Um, but I really started to pay attention just last week. There was, some would call it a hit piece or an article talking about Russ Vote and yourself and this project 2025 and a lot of questions about what would a second Trump administration look like. Certainly from the perspective of, of, hey, this would be a lame duck administration. So what would they focus on? What would the keys be? And there was this national piece about Russ and yourself saying, oh, these guys, they're Christian nationalists. They're way out on the extremes. This is the fringe, um, sort of all cloaked in this scary imagery. Tell us, tell our listeners a little bit, you know, how much of that is true? How much would you be advising a second Trump administration? And in your mind, what would that look like? Yeah, I really don't know how much I would be um, advising a, a second Trump administration. I had the, uh, the the privilege to serve at the State Department and the DOD in the first Trump administration. And after that, I ended up going to seminary because I had this really particular interest in the intersection of faith and politics. And, um, you know, the cultural Marxist and the long march through the institutions in America includes the church and denominations like the Southern Baptist Convention. And so in the last couple of years, as I've been becoming, I guess, somewhat more of a public figure using uh, platforms like X, I've been trying to unapologetically defend uh, Christian conservatism and a Christian new right in America. And, you know, the left, the liberal media and journalists, but I repeat myself, you know, they're the one they try to tell someone like me, like I have extreme views 
when they want to make us pretend like a man is a woman. No, no, no. They're the extreme ones. And so, you know, I, I reject the idea that, you know, my views are extreme or Russ Vogt's views are extreme. The, the reporter who did that piece, she went on uh, MSNBC and she said that if you believe that rights come from God and not the government, then you're a scary Christian nationalist, to which I just have to say, that's exactly what the Declaration of Independence says. And so apparently anybody who believes in Americans' founding principles and our founding documents is now a Christian nationalist. So I actually think we're not new, we're not extreme, we're not scary, we're old. We're the old ways, the tried and true ways of America as a Christian nation and the founding principles that have been forgotten. And so that's really where things stand. Um, now, in terms of a, a second Trump administration, I think that all the policies he's proposing sound excellent and something that Christians, conservatives, and just, you know, any freedom-loving patriot could get behind. I was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention last week and heard Trump uh, give his speech there in which he said that we need to bring back Christianity in this nation and that people of faith, of, of all faith, are, are not the enemies of America, we're the soul of America. And of course, people of faith, in particular Christians, have been increasingly discriminated against under the Biden administration. So I have, I have high hopes for a second Trump administration, particularly on this pressing issue of the role of Christianity and the freedom of religion in America. You know, I think it's interesting. Every Everything in life is cyclical. There's nothing new under the sun. But I think, you know, maybe a 100 years ago or even less than that, your views uh, and my views would have been fairly mundane and fairly traditional. And then we went through a period of time when when Democrats won and the left won. And we had this long period where, and it's it's very well described in the book American Carnage, you had these presidential candidates on the Republican side, whether it's compassionate conservatism of George W. Bush or Mitt Romney or John McCain, where it's almost an apologetic Republican who never, every time somebody pushed back was immediately like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And and the base chafed under that. And so then we had the first Trump administration. He gets elected in 2016 on a very unapologetic, hey, we're, you know, you, you attack me and I'm going to attack you right back. I'm not going to apologize to you. But through that, and I've heard from a lot of people I was friends with in the Christian community space is like, we liked certain things that happened in the first Trump administration, but there was a lot of other things that we felt were missed opportunities. The idea that he ran on drain the swamp, but did we actually drain the swamp or did the bureaucracy maintain there? Did we actually see advancement on conservative principles or was it just like a few good judgments and one tax cut? How would that be different in a second Trump administration? How would we see conservative benchmark achievement occur? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I, let me just set the stage on that briefly. You know, Donald Trump had never run for an elected office, period, before he ran and won the presidency of the United States of America. And so the man was taking on a, a job, of course, that he, he didn't exactly know what he was getting into. And and with the way that the Republican establishment was against someone like Donald Trump, and unfortunately too many of those characters made it in to the first administration, the man wasn't just fighting the deep state and the bureaucracy, but he was fighting, you know, bad Republicans within his own party. And yet during those four years in the Trump administration and then the, the time since, it what he has done is he served as sort of a magnet to draw out all the worst actors. He's exposed the deep state in ways that 
he couldn't have anticipated getting in at first. And so now I think that he is deeply prepared and has a plan of action to deal with, you know, the swamp when he gets back in. He's, he's, he has proposals to reschedule uh, career bureaucrats, the Schedule F proposal, and make it easier to reassign or fire these individuals that are subverting the president's agenda. People misunderstand uh, the idea of what it means to be a bureaucrat. You serve at the pleasure of the president. Yes, there are protections and, you know, there's sort of jobs that are meant to move, you know, beyond one administration or another. But at the bottom line, when the American people pick a chief executive officer of the United States of America, every single person who is working in any executive branch agency, their job now is to enact that duly elected president's agenda on behalf of the American people. And that's just not what's been happening. Now, that is going to be met with great resistance, great legal resistance, great media resistance. But I think he is intent on on moving through with that and really working to change the way the federal government works. And I think we've got uh, a lot of other lessons learned from the first administration and the time in between. And we've got some other major policy things that have percolated in American life that weren't so much on the front burner there in the first years, like the transgender issue. I mean, that's really blown up. And Trump has, you know, he announced that he would he would sign a law to ban gender transition surgeries for minors in all 50 states. Uh, he would create a federal uh, commission to investigate anti-Christian bias. And his economic policies, of course, would be just as good as before. We had incredible success. And then you look out on the international stage, and when Trump was in office, our friends trusted us and our foes feared us. And now it's exactly opposite. Our foes don't respect us. Our friends don't respect us, and our foes don't fear us. We had no new wars. So on the international front, I think we'd be rocketing and rolling there again. And so, I mean, across the board, you know, I, I believe that a second Trump administration will be incredible for this country. And I think he's learned the right lessons and has the right people in place to really renew American prosperity and to try to salvage what's left of our constitutional republic and representative government that's been completely subverted by the permanent bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. And I think that's one of the questions, you know, I, I know people, strong conservatives, that they 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 voted for Trump the first time, they probably voted for reelect, but now they're like, you know what, for instance, the trans issue, they'll be like, well, does Trump care about this issue, you know? Back in the day, the organization he owned, Miss USA or Miss America, whatever it was, they he they talked about allowing transgender competitors in. Uh, you know, he he had the famous line about two Corinthians, and they're like, we just don't know that Trump's core philosophical value is conservatism. And so, I think a lot what a lot of them say to me is, well, who will Trump put around him in the second administration? Because they saw that in the first administration, a lot of the people that were picked. They, they, they either were going a different direction from where the conservatives wanted to go or they, they, they were, they were there for six months and then they were gone. And so I think from a lot of those perspectives, those people aside from the judicial and they all to a person was like, man, his, his judge picks were awesome. The rest of it, there's sort of an amorphous meh feeling about, I don't, I don't know what I'd get in a second administration. Yeah, well, I mean, to that, I would say the, the, some of the top names that are, that are close to Trump and advising him and his campaign in, in a, you know, a far more material fashion. Again, I, I don't work for the campaign. I don't speak for the campaign. 
Um, you know, are people like uh, Kevin Roberts, president of the Heritage Foundation. He, you know, he also, that's a 501c3. He doesn't work for the campaign, but uh, Project 2025 is a project of the Heritage Trans Heritage um, Foundation and is meant to staff a second Trump term with, with genuinely the best people. American Moments, another organization out there trying to um, identify credential and equip a new a new uh, suite of lower level uh, committed and uh, loyal Republican appointees. And then you do have someone like Russ Vote with the Center for Renewing America, who's, I think, one of the best political minds and operators out there um, on behalf of the American people right now. And so I, I have a great degree of confidence in the people who would be around Trump in his second administration. But even more than that, I would say, if the choices between Trump and Biden I don't even know what conversation we're having here, right? I mean, it's just you, there might be some things you don't like here and there, but you have somebody who doesn't even know that he's awake or alive and who has radical Marxists running his administration at every, at every turn and destroying our country, or you can have Donald Trump. And at least for me, 10 times out of 10, I'm going with Donald Trump. Uh, we, we briefly touched on this Project 2025. Give, us a, give our listeners a little bit more. What is Project 2025? Yeah, so again, Project 2025 is not something that I am in any way personally associated with, so I don't want to you know, speak on their behalf or misspeak anything, but you know, it's public and it's available, and it's just an effort to make sure that the next uh, you know, conservative Republican administration has the policy and the personnel and the action plan needed to hit the ground running on day one. It's, it's a, a piece of work by the Heritage Foundation and a lot of other conservative organizations are supporting it. So they're trying to put together, you know, a roster of resumes of loyal, trustworthy and capable Republican uh, presidential appointees. They're putting together a, a policy plan for what needs to be done, you know, in the first 100 days of the next Republican administration and onward. And so it's, it's a critical effort here because what, what's happened in, in the past is that uh, too many Republican presidential, uh, you know, nominees and then winners of the election have gone in and haven't had the people around them that they needed. So that's really filling that critical gap. You know, the other thing you talked about, um, obviously your background, your Baptist and, and the goals to prevent the Southern Baptists from going to a more of a left wing. That's one of the things we've discussed a lot on this show. And obviously it's sort of the culture of, or the, the connection between politics and the church. But, uh, we've seen that a lot. We've seen a lot of denomination either splits or have moved progressively left. And I think it's led to a lot of the, the challenges that America has faced is the way the church has responded poorly to uh, the modern progressive movement. Tell us a little bit about your work trying to trying to move the Baptist in a more conservative theological direction. Yeah, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to that. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest um, non-Catholic or you could say Protestant denomination in the United States of America home to 47,000 churches and 14 million members. It is, in many ways, just due to its sheer size, sort of the, the heart of evangelical Christianity in America. And because of that, it has been an explicit target of the progressive left. Well-funded and well-organized actors are trying to infiltrate, subvert, and fracture the Southern Baptist Convention, not just because they don't like our theology and our Christian beliefs, that's certainly true, 
but because they understand that the Southern Baptist Convention is a, a critical conservative voting block in America and a key part of holding back the cultural insanity that's been foisted upon our country by the radical revolutionaries. And so what I'm trying to do with the Center for Baptist Leadership is really threefold. One, we have issues internal to the Southern Baptist Convention, debates over our beliefs and our commitments. One of those is the question of whether or not we are going to allow uh, female pastors. Now, there are certainly some good people who disagree on that issue, but historically Southern Baptists have held to what we understand to be the biblical belief of male-only clergy, male-only pastors. And if you look at what's happened to other major Protestant denominations, the mainline denominations, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, the Presbyterian Church USA, the first domino to fall before they went fully progressive is the ordination of female pastors. You have female pastors, then you become homosexual affirming, then you become trans affirming. The next thing you know, you've got the BLM trans gay flag flying outside your church with a sign that says, all are welcome here. Now, of course, all are welcome in any church, but you're welcome to hear the call to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and, and leave your sin behind. So this is a major a major fight in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it would be really a capitulation to feminism and progressivism if we fail to hold the line on that. That's some of the internal issues we're dealing with. Then also with, with my political background and my experience, I want to help equip Southern Baptist Convention institutional leaders, pastors, and lay members to be able to defend the Southern Baptist Convention from the, um, you know, the political ops from the left. You know, trying to paint us as, you know, backwards racist knuckle draggers clinging to our, clinging to our guns and our Bibles or, or the idea that somehow we're harboring all these abusers within our convention. None of that is true, but the left is trying to guilt us into sort of adopting progressive positions through that. So I want to equip people to defend the Southern Baptist Convention from the progressive left. And finally, we hope to serve as a better Baptist voice in the public square. The Southern Baptist Convention has a lobbying arm, a political entity called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, formerly run by a guy named Russell Moore, who turned out to be a major never-Trumper. He's no longer in the Southern Baptist Convention, but he's used his position outside the Southern Baptist Convention as a columnist at you know the Atlantic. He writes for Christianity Today to just turn around and attack us. He's good friends with David French and others. And so we think that Southern Baptists have not been represented well in the public square. We've had leaders apologizing for our beliefs instead of defending them and honestly attacking the people in the pews. The reason that Trump is so popular with Baptists is because Trump defends us. He doesn't attack us. And unfortunately, so many of our evangelical Baptist leaders have instead attacked the people in the pews. And so we want to be a better Baptist voice in the public square as well. Yeah, I read the last book I read was uh, The Kingdom, the Power and the Glory by Tim Alberta. And I got to, to, to the middle of the book where they spent quite a long time on Russell Moore. And finally, I was just like, man, I can't keep going. I just, I checked out of the book at that point because the Baptist church as, as Russell Moore envisioned very different from the Baptist church that I grew up on. William, this has been super fascinating. Definitely want to have you on again, but we're running up against a hard break. Uh, if people want to know more about the work that you do, how do they find you on social media? How do they follow follow along with with the, the the causes that you're involved in? Yeah, so you can find me on X at William underscore E underscore Wolf with an E, and then our website uh, will be the Center for Baptist Leadership dot org. Center for Baptist Leadership dot org. William, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, thanks again, and and we'll be watching you watching as you uh, as you launch this new organization. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
All right, again, that was William Wolf. We're going to be right back. We've got more to come. Don't forget our snake draft later on today. Stick around for more.